Um, years ago, I heard a story that I actually thought was true for many years, but I now know that it is uh, fictitious, but it's still a good story. Um, it's about a, a, a fictitious manual for the Peace Corps, and um, some of you may have heard this story, on how to encounter, a chance encounter, if you had one, with an anaconda, which is like a, a type of a boa constrictor. <clears throat> List of instructions. Under the heading, what to do if attacked by an, an, an anaconda. One, if you are attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Two, lie flat on the ground. Three, put your arms tight at your side and your legs tight against one another. Four, the snake will begin to crawl all over your body. Five. Do not panic. Six, the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet end. Seven, <laughs> step six will take a long time. Eight, after a while, slowly, and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth then suddenly sever the snake's head. Nine, be sure your knife is sharp. <laughs> 10, be sure you have your knife. <laughs> you never know what curve life will bring you, that's for sure, but when you are called, and you will be called um, for sure, you need to know what to do. You need. You can't wait until the crisis hits. You need to be prepared. In the passage that I'm about to read, Jesus has been um, warning. He has, not just in this passage, but for the past couple of weeks, anyway, three weeks, as we've been talking through the book of John, he's been warning his disciples that they're about to face some really, really difficult times. He's been telling them he's going to go away that he's going to leave them. He's been telling them that they're going to be excommunicated from the synagogues, that they're going to be persecuted, that, they've, that they, some of them will be killed. He's been warning them so that they can be prepared. Um, but he's also been warning them so that they, will, uh, that they will not fall away. He doesn't want them to fall away, to lose their faith. Um, last week, the scripture text, in the scripture text, um, I think Jordan preached here, uh, the, Jesus said, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you stay connected to me, if you stay connected to me, if you stay in me, you'll bear much fruit. In the passage that I'm going to read in just a second, he's saying something similar you got to stay in me. you got to stay connected to me. But in this instance, what he's saying is if you do that, then no matter what happens, you'll be at peace. So listen as I read from John 16, and I'm reading um, starting at verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. 
his disciples said, well, yes, now you are speaking plainly, not in any figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have anyone question you. By this, we believe you came from God. Jesus answered, do you now believe? The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each one to his own home. You will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I've said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Jesus, we do thank you for this word. We thank you that you are God and And Lord, we want to trust you with our lives. We want, honestly, Lord, we want to live at peace. So would you make this word a reality in our lives? And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we live in an anxious, fearful culture. There's much to be anxious about, right? We can be anxious, you know, do, uh, will I make enough money? Will I, am I in the right job? Um, is is uh, he mad at me? Is she mad at me? So much to be fearful of, fear of rejection, fear of failure. Uh, so many things to be fearful of, right? If you don't want to live that way, Jesus says, Plant yourself in me. Plant yourself in me. The disciples have been um, hearing the things that he said, but they can't get their heads around it. They can't, they can't get their minds around the fact that he's not going to be with them anymore. They can't, they can't grasp what he's saying about the hard things that are ahead. They just can't get it. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been through anything really traumatic or if you've ever sat in a doctor's office and had them give you horrible news. But I can tell you, when that happens, it's hard to get your mind around it. It's hard, it's hard for it to make sense. And, and that's where the disciples are at this point. They, they're, they're confused. They're, they, they can't get it. And in verse 28, which I just read, Jesus essentially summarizes the things that he's been trying to tell them about himself. And what I'm going to say today is that if you want peace, you need, to, you need to know who Jesus is. That's the first thing I want to talk about. And then the second thing is you need to embrace both the good and the bad that comes along in your life in him. So verse 28, he, he summarizes what he's been saying throughout this whole gospel about who he is. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. Um, I want to break that down and talk about that just a minute because this is who Jesus is. I came from the Father and I've come into the world. What he's saying is I, I existed before before now. 
I came from the Father. Christians believe that Jesus is and always was fully God. And that, uh, the fancy theological word for this is, is he became incarnate. He, he, he left his position with the Father in the heavenly places and, and became a human being. Fully God, fully human. Alexander McLaren, who's a, was, um, he's dead now, but he was a pastor and a theologian. I love this. He said, Jesus dwelt in the bosom of the Father long before he lay on the breast of Mary. Then he says, I'm leaving the world. Um, notice that he's very much in control here. He's going to leave the world by way of hanging on a cross. But he doesn't say, you know, they're going to drag me against my will here. He said, he's, he's voluntarily choosing to go to the cross and leave the world. And on the cross, um, he accomplishes what he came to do. You know, he, he wrestles with it. In, in chapter 12, he says, you know, my soul is troubled. But what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It's for this reason I came to this hour. He voluntarily gives his life for the forgiveness of our sins. He, vo he voluntarily gives his life uh, and defeats the rule that Satan has over people. He, he came as savior of the world. And he does that as he leaves this world on the cross. And then he says, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. The Father's going to raise him from the dead. We know the story. And, and, and give him victory over all of that. I'm going to the Father. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says, he sits at the right hand of God, and there he intercedes for us, that he's praying for us. He's advocating for us. Um, Sometimes when we don't have the words. He's very much alive and he lives to intercede for us. Um, over the past few years, there have been a lot of news stories about the, the internet and the, um, in particular, how the internet has been used, I think, to the surprise of its creators uh, for evil, not, not just for good. Um, um, posting images of people killing each other and cyberbullying that goes on and, you know, the, the bad stuff that happens on the Internet. Well, I read a New York Times article. Um, I think it was published in the, in the magazine a couple of years ago, and, and the title of it was Why Can't Silicon Valley Fix Online Harassment? And in the article, it quoted this guy, Nahum Cohen, who was writing about the origins of the Silicon Valley ideology. And he said that he found that the men who turned the valley into the global behemoth that it is today shared an ideology of freedom. They acknowledged the legacy of racism and sexism, but they want to wish it away, the article said. They think you can correct your own biases and, and um, that algorithms can solve the systemic problems. Now, obviously that's wrong. <laughs> the anonymity of the internet actually gives people 
free license to show what's how wicked we are, really. Um, it, uh, why can't Silicon Valley solve the problem of internet online harassment? Because the problem lies in the human heart, right? The, the problem lies in the heart. And there are wicked things in our hearts. Um, and when we can say them anonymously, many do. Many do. And, and what we don't need is another book or teacher on love. What we need is a new heart. And what Jesus gives us when we are connected to him, is a new heart. He saves us from the old one and gives us a new one. And, and, and um, he didn't say that in the passage that I just read, but for the last several chapters, including this chapter before where I picked up, he's been saying, I'm going to send my spirit. When I go away to the Father, I'm going to send my spirit. And he's going to fill you every day with his love and fill you with his heart. That's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. Now the disciples in this passage think that they understand and they say, oh, now, now you're speaking plainly. Now we finally, we get what you're saying and we believe what you're saying. And then with a little bit, I think of irony, Jesus says, do you now believe? Really? Really? The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you're going to be scattered, each one to his own home, and you're going to, you're going to leave me alone. Do you now believe, really? Well, you do believe, but it, it, it's, it, hasn't yet, it hasn't yet changed your life. And your faith is about to be sorely tested. And you're going to come out on the other end of this stronger than when you went in. We find peace in Christ when we know that we know that we know who he is. But we, we have to also embrace that in him there's bad things as well as good things that happen in our lives. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer there says, there's a time for everything. Remember that? Do you know that passage? There's a time for everything. <clears throat> time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time for everything in its season. In Jesus' life, we see this. There was feasting and there was fasting. There was joy and there was anger. Uh, there was times he was really popular and times when they hated his guts and, and even killed him. Uh, there were times when he went to weddings and when he wept at the death of a friend. Uh, there, there were good times and bad times in Jesus' life, for sure. And, and no single moment defines his life, right? Um, He's not always popular, but he's not always unpopular. He's not always hungry, but he's not always full. 
No one single moment defines him. There, up until now in the gospel, there have been times when people wanted to kill him. And every time he's escaped death until now. In just a few hours, his hour has come. And every time John talks about his hour, it's talking about his death. Um, Richard Dahlstrom talks about the fact that um, in our culture, we don't embrace this. Um, in our culture, there's a time to be born, but not a time to die. We don't like to think about death. We don't want to talk about death. Uh, we don't want to face it. In our culture, there's a time <clears throat> to laugh, but not a time to mourn. In our culture, there's a time for companionship, but not a time for loneliness. Uh, that's, just, that's just the culture we live in. There's a time for CrossFit healthy in our culture, but not a time for chemotherapy. Um, there's a time for wealth in our culture, but not a time for poverty. In fact, I think many people fear poverty more than they fear death. There's not a time for poverty, ever. Um, and what Dahlstrom said, uh, he uses this image, and I really like it, that there's a ledger, it's like there's a ledger, and, and, um, it's, and the ledger has two sides to it, right? There's a time to be born, there's a time for life on one side and a time for death on the other side. Uh, there's a time for health. There's a time for sickness. There's a time for wealth, time for poverty. There's a time for popularity, a time for, um, I don't know, disdain, if you want to call it that. And it's, it's as though we're obsessed with this side of the ledger. Because this side of the ledger is the good life. And we all want to live the good life. And we'll do almost anything that we can in order to live the good life on this side. Um, and almost anything we can do to avoid life on this side. But the truth is, both sides of the ledger are vital. Um, I, I, as, a, as a pastor, I can just tell you that there is as much, if not more, to be learned from sickness as through health. Through loss as through gain. Through death as through life. Uh, through popularity and through people not liking you. That's just the truth. And if you, if you try to live your life only on, on the good side of the ledger, you will be anxious and fearful. And you'll fail. <laughs> because adversity and loss and all those things, sickness, death, it all, we'll all go through that stuff. Both sides are vital. Um, I was with my, my mother this last week, and she's going to turn 86 years old 
just in a few weeks. Um, she was just diagnosed with what we think is Alzheimer's um, memory. She has, is having short-term memory issues. She had a stroke, and it's affected that. And so she repeats herself a lot. Well, one of the things she repeats over and over and over again, I am so very, very blessed. I am so very, very blessed. And she means that from the bottom of her toes to the top of her head. She just does. But thinking through her life, she's lived her life on both sides of the ledger for sure. When she was born, she was born into a household with an alcoholic father. When she was in grade school years, she, um, her mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and they took her to another city and institutionalized her for the rest of her life. Um, Mom and her sister were passed around to different family members. Her her father remarried, and um, she lived, they lived with him for, I want to say, a year or two, and then he died at 36. Um... She lived, they lived, her, she and her sister lived with an aunt who, who was just beloved to them, but she didn't hear very well. And she was walking home in one of the southeastern Colorado famous dust storms and crossed the railroad tracks, and she, uh, she was run over by a, a train that she never saw or heard coming. By the time my mom was, I think, 12, she had lost her father, her mother, and this beloved aunt. Um, when she was 12, she had an incredible encounter with, the, with Jesus, and it, it changed her life forever, and she, she has this simple but deep abiding connection with Jesus that's just real. She lived with her grandparents then as she went through high school, middle school, I think, and high school, and um, lived on a, on a farm, and, um, and they were as good to her as they knew how to be, and, and then she, when she was in high school, she became very popular, and she was elected to be one of the presidents of the student body, and um, people just loved her, and it's a funny thing, 21 years later, exactly, I was elected to the same office in the same school, in the same high school. Um, she was always really proud of that. <laughs> um, she, when she was 20, she met my dad, and um, they, they lived married life on both sides of the ledger for sure, but, oh gosh, they, they had some wonderful times together, and she, she remembers they traveled together, and they had some wonderful experiences when they traveled, and they had four kids that that loved them, and somehow they made it through the teenage years uh, on both sides of the ledger, I'm sure. But um, um, they, they traveled in many parts of the world. And uh, when our kids were little, they had a house in Pine Top, and we shared some wonderful family times there. Uh, then they had a place in, on Coronado Island for part of the year, and we had some wonderful family times there. One of the last times I remember having a conversation with my dad there and my dad said um, that he, he just wanted us to know that he was so happy he had made enough and saved enough money that 
mom would be okay if he died first. And, um, and then not very long after that, he had got brain cancer, and, and he died three weeks after he was diagnosed, so it was very sudden. And my mom's been alone for the last 20 years. Um, but what she says over and over again, I'm so very, very blessed. So very, very blessed. And she, she means that from the bottom of the toes to the top of her head. Because she's 100% connected to Christ. And she receives as a gift uh, those of us who love her and are going to be with her um, until she's no longer with us. Jesus, in this passage, is warning the disciples. He's telling them, you know, there are two sides of the ledger. And I use both of them. I use both of them. I'm with you on both, of the, on both sides of the ledger, and I... I use it all in the redemptive purposes of my life. I just use it all. Um, and to the extent that I can embrace that, I live in hope. And I live in joy. And I live in peace. And if I can't embrace that, boy, I'm anxious, fearful. We live in this culture that you know, we want to reach a certain status. And, and we work hard, to, whatever that is, different for each one of us, but whatever that is, we, we really work hard to try to reach that status. And if we reach those goals, then we want to protect what we've gained. And if we don't reach them, if, if, if I'm content with my situation, you know, then I want to protect, pr protect what I have. And if, but if I'm not content, then what I try to do is change my situation so that I do like that situation, right? So I'm either anxious about losing what I've got or fearful about not uh, gaining what I hope to gain. And what Jesus is saying here is, what if, what if you live differently? What if you, what if you just, develop an intimate relationship with me and you practice gratitude and you let life unfold the way it's going to unfold anyway and then you just recognize that he's going to be with you on both sides of that ledger and he's going to redeem it all he's going to redeem it all um, he says at the end of this passage I've said this to you so that you'll have peace. That's why in this world you're going to face persecution. But take courage because I've conquered the world. I've conquered the world. Um, the, the, the truth is uh, that's what happens. Because he doesn't just stay dead, but God raises him from the dead, right? And gives him victory. And gives us victory as we stay in him. And we know the end of the story. And the end of the story is not 
even what's on either side of the ledger. But the end of the story is that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right that's wrong in the world and establish his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven as we just prayed in the Lord's Prayer. That's the end of the story. Um, in the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's book, The Lord of the Rings, right at the end of the story, Sam Ganji sees Gandalf and he says, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yeah. That's the end of the story. It's not just that suffering's going to end, although it will. It'll be healed. <laughs> Completely. Everything sad is going to come untrue. C.S. Lewis had this wonderful line. Uh, one time he wrote that heaven will work backwards. Um, and that the truth is that that has already begun in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. That it's, it's already started. Heaven is, has already turned on the cross. And that was the ultimate instrument of violence and hate, right? But God turned it into the ultimate expression of triumphant love. And it will one day turn agony, every agony, your agony, into glory, endless glory, unimaginable glory, the eternal weight of glory, because Christ has overcome the world. God wins. God's people win, period. That's the end. Um, in John 14, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, but it's not as the world gives, right? The world believes that peace is only found on one side of the ledger. Jesus says, stay connected to me, in me. I've said these things to you because in me, you'll have peace. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd take my words now. You keep speaking them to us until we've heard what it is your spirit wants to say to us, each of us, this day. In the name of Jesus, I pray.